This is Homer and Tony. Oh, baby. Will Smith. You ever heard of him? Ice Cube. He's not a rapper. Yes, he was. But no, he, he was not. No, he was yes. not a rapper. That's first. where he started. Before he was an actor? actor? Yes. It was DJ Jaggy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Okay, but he was on the Fresh of the Prince. No, he was not. But he was a no. rapper before yes. that. That yeah. came and first. Why did he use that name? That was his name. They turned a TV show yeah. out of his rap. Did yes. they really? Yes. Yes. Whoa. Learn something new every day. Everybody knew that but you. Dylan, I can remove you from this room. <laughs> why you, do why you laugh? Dylan's too young and he still do that. I love Sabonis. There's some guys like MB. You can lose, but you know every game. You're in the running. You know he's not uh, Caucasian That's American, right. right? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- those are his favorite players. I so. told oh, yes. No, they're not. No, they're not. How do you feel about TJ McConnell? Uh, it's a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's One Call That's All Studios at the Avenue. This is Homer and Tony. In perfect harmony, Joe Lenardi was uh, on assignment, not available, and uh, he, he has Mark Monday as at 245 is confirmed right now. What? He will. Joe Lenardi will join us at 245 next Monday. I'm not sure we're available. Oh, we're we're available. We are. Yes. Was it supposed to be next Monday and not this Monday? No. It was supposed to be this Monday. And he didn't show up. Uh, that was a little mistake on my end. I accidentally gave him the wrong call-in number. Oh, okay. All right. Then it's, then he's fine. We we will accept. You you can you have an unlimited number of mistakes and that are allowed. Joe Lenardi gets one, and he's hooked. But he did have uh, Marquette as a three seed, which is uh, the best I think it's uh, it's been so far this year. Maybe at four, but Marquette is. Uh, Wait, you mean three seed in the tournament? In the tournament, yes. And Duke is a six seed. If they both won their first two games, We're better than Duke. So what's the problem? Um, I don't know. You think I, they're better than Duke? I All right. Yeah. Okay. Top three at three. The best of the best. The pick of the litter, the creme de la creme. This list is as exclusive as it gets. Three, two, one. Okay, let's run. It's the top three at three with Homer and Tony. And it is Marquette being top ten in the country. Early on in the year, the coaches said, this is a special group. There's something about this group. Back when they were picked to be nine in the Big East. And you know how I took that, Tony. Uh, I don't know how you took it. I know how Tyler Kohler took it. I'll tell you how I took it. Uh, I, not the number nine. Well, I said that. They're going to make Every year that Shaka Smart's the coach, I'm assuming they make the tournament. Just on principle. But I said, eh, I don't buy that. You know what I mean? You don't buy it. Coaches say that about their team every year. Eh, we like this group, whatever. So I'm skeptical. And the coach said, no. I'm telling you, this, this is there's something here. So I give them credit because this was said before they played one game and never wavered. So maybe uh, their record, now top ten ranking, would say that that coach knew what he was talking about. It was more than one but on different occasions. And uh, uh, I do not at all apologize for being skeptical of a long list of being told that when the team... You know, coaches believe in their players. That's part of being a coach, but that doesn't mean I'm buying it. All right, Hall of Famer. 
Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, the Kyrie move to Dallas. I I wanted to get your thoughts. This very, is a perfect timing. For very you. interesting move there. Um, they gave up Dimwitty. He's going back uh, where he was to Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was uh, that's the other kid's name. He's Finney, Finney, Finney. Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah. Uh, also, another very good player, probably one of their better defenders. Um, question here is going to be: Kyrie might be actually better because he's not going to be on the ball. He's going to play the two guard. Is he going to agree to He'll be play on the, the ball? Two. Uh, I don't think he has a problem being the two. Oh, okay. you know what I mean? I think the with him being the one, you certainly can't have Luca off the ball. That's not going to correct. That's not gonna yeah. Luca's got to have the ball, but. Luca now will have a, a better yeah. dynamic partner right. to partner with. I want to continue this tomorrow because yeah. we've run out of time. Kevin Harlan, wait. All right, Pebble, you get the last word. And uh, my quick one here is uh, Giannis named Eastern Conference Player of the Week for the second week in a row, averaged 41 points per game last week in leading the Bucks to a 3-0 record. So uh, it's also the third That's week it. in a row that a Bucks player has won Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Uh, to get Player of the Week for me, Giannis has got to put up 60. I've raised the bar. Kevin Harlan. Yep, the Kevin Harlan. Next. 94.5 ESPN, Homer in the Hall of Famer. It's a treat to talk with Kevin Harlan. If you don't know who Kevin Harlan is, you're listening to the wrong station. The voice of the NBA and the voice of uh, the NFL for so many years. First of all, good afternoon, Kevin, and uh, thanks for taking the time. I have a great first question for you. I'm ready, Steve. You Go ready? right ahead. I'm glad to be on with you. All right. So there's this kid, Garrett Murray. He wants to talk to me. He's a student in Mech One Homestead. He does play-by-play for the various sporting teams, and he wants to talk to me. And I think I should tell him that you could be the next Kevin Harlan because I think years ago someone told me I was at Xavier and Appleton. You were either Pennings or Permontrate where you did their high school sporting events. If I'm wrong, Tony Smith will say, Homer, you always make stuff up. I think I got this right. What's the truth? You are correct. I went to a high school. It was then Permontrate. Now it's Notre Dame Academy in Green Bay. And our high school at that time in the late 70s, had uh, I'm sorry, in the mid-'70s, had a student-run station that was uh, uh, kind of controlled by the priests and the teachers at their school. It's an all, it was an all-boys Catholic school. Now it's, it's co-ed, and it was a 10-watt station, so we had about a 10-mile radius. And I tried out for the position. I got the play-by-play job when I was a sophomore, and I was off and running. I had caught the bug. I worked in the press box at Lambeau uh, when my dad was with the team. And so I got to meet all the broadcasters that would come to town and see how they did it and dreamt of that life. And that's the life I'm living right now. So I don't know what you would say to Garrett. I would have said, look at, listen to the best and copy. Don't necessarily copy their style, but notice how they call a certain play and figure out how you want to say it, because the plays aren't going to change, and then you be you, but it starts with how are you going to call certain things that occur in a sport? Uh, am I close? You're dead on. Uh, and you know the business as, as well as anybody. I mean, you need a roadmap, and I would say the first bit of, of advice I'd give anybody is if they're interested in play-by-play or being on air, is to work on delivery. 
and delivery and voice and presentation is well more than half the battle. Our daughter is in the business, and I told her when she was starting out, I would rather watch someone with a great voice and great delivery give me a C-level story than I would want to watch a A story be told by someone who delivered it with with bad diction, bad voice, bad delivery, bad presentation. I, I think presentation is number one. And if you learn that early enough, I, I think it continues to evolve the older you get. And as you know, this is a business which always continues to challenge you. And you never have the answers. You'd always want to do something over again. Live radio or TV is very difficult. But it, that, that's the challenge of the business. You're always trying to improve and get better. I listened to my NFC Championship game last week between the Eagles and the 49ers and picked out maybe you know 200 things I would have done differently or said it differently or, or want to tweak the way I, I, I deliver the call. And, and that will hopefully get me ready for the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. I want to ask you this one because the first question I always ask is, you've got to love watching the event. And that is, I don't care how good you end up being, if you don't enjoy it and there isn't some energy that you just like watching it, and it doesn't matter who you are or how great an athlete you are, find the sports that you really enjoy watching, even if you weren't announcing. Uh, How much do you buy that? Well, are, are, are you good in any walk of life? Are you good? Are you a good husband? Are you a good wife? Are you a good uh, person that sells insurance or a good heart surgeon or a good whatever, and, and you don't have a degree of love and passion for that, for that job? I think you've got to have that in anything that you're good at. I mean, um, I know these players that, we're, that we watch, that you watch, uh, you know, all the time and that I watch, they love to play, and they love to work at getting better. The best have always been the hardest workers. And if you love something, whatever it is, whatever your profession is, the harder you work at it, the more involved you'll be at wanting to get better. And then all the things that you want in life usually fall, you know, in place. But it's there's got to be a passion. There's got to be something that you enjoy because that's when you'll give supreme effort. So I do enjoy sports. I enjoy the game. I love the business of broadcasting. Now, I used to love travel a lot more, but now that I'm older and, and married, and you know this, you know, you're, you, you've got grandchildren, you've got kids you want to be around, you want to be home more. The best time is when they throw the ball up or when they blow the whistle and the ball is going to be kicked off. But after that, before and after, um, it, it's kind of tough because of the travel. But you've got to love what you do, and I know you do. And I think you know that I do as well. All right. You brought up your your kids and Olivia. I just want to know this. Given all that you accomplished, I believe that still one of the great moments in your life is when someone says to you, are are you the father of Olivia Harlan? (laughs) And they have no idea who you are. I don't think as a parent there are many things that are better than that. And I know it may not have happened many times to you because everybody knows who you are, but I'll bet it has. Well, we've got uh, Olivia, who is in the business and working, and I've got uh, daughters that are home and are moms and uh, housewives and enjoy that part. And uh, all you want for your kid is happiness. And I think I've got it with, with our four. My wife and I have been married for uh, now over 35 years, so we've 
we've raised these four kids, and we've tried to teach them that whatever you do, and we don't care what it is, but whatever path you take, you know, make sure that, that you uh, uh, enjoy what you're doing and you enjoy all the things that life can give you. And, and she has enjoyed this. She is trying to uh, – Olivia is our third daughter. We have three girls, and our son is the baby, uh, but he's 26. And and I've I've watched Olivia juggle work and being a mom and being married and traveling overseas with her husband Sam, who's playing in the Euroleague in London, and trying to keep all these balls in the air. And I'm just amazed at what she does. So yes, people have come up. Are you her parents? Are you are you her dad? And I say I I, I proudly am her father and watch her in amazement every day. Talking with Kevin Harlan. All right. Uh, now, have you got a, has anybody written a book about you? I have a great guy, Gary D'Amato, who I think should write books about everyone. Uh, the best person <laughs> is a choice. Because my fascination is not just for you to tell your story, but you have been around so many athletes, and I know you have stories from working with them and seeing them in different environments. Has there been one done? Do you have any interest in having someone let you just tell stories? Well, I'm afraid it wouldn't sell if we did write it, and I, I have not written a book. If my dad has, and I know that my – I think he wrote it. Um, I'm I've got an – I have a signed copy of his book, <laughs> oh, good, yes. Good. <laughs> I was trying to think how long ago do you know, he wrote Do you know it. how famous he is? There are <laughs> oh three God. people, you may be four, that refuse to call me Homer. He will not call me Homer. He knew me when I was Steve True in Bart Starr's last year's head coach. Bud Selig oh. will not call me Homer. And George Carl would never call me Homer. Oh, my gosh. So all right. I like that. Well, I, I like all those men. <laughs> but you're all, you're, I, I've listened to you for so long. I, you're Steve to me and a friend. And, and, and uh, I'll call you whatever you want me to call you. I, I just I think that um, – you know, uh, we're, we're, you, you have seen so much, covered so much, talked to so many people. I mean, just look at the three people you rattled off right there from George Carla, coach the Bucks, and one of the great coaches in professional basketball history. And uh, you mentioned Bart Starr, but you mentioned Bud Lee and, and, and my dad, who, you know, is my hero. And, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. People have different stories to tell. Sometimes it's worth, you know, listening to and hearing. Sometimes it's not. Um, I, I guess I just feel like I've been so lucky to witness and be around people like you have that you just kind of take each each day as it comes and 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 hope that you, if you're covering that sport, broadcasting that sport, you tell it the best you can. And and sometimes you just admire people from afar. And and I think there are a lot of people that have wonderful stories to tell. Of uh, and and the best stories usually are those that that have people, you know, going past all the naysayers, people that had all the odds are against you from accomplishing this or doing that, and they've accomplished it some way, and then can teach that lesson to someone reading that book. And and uh, my dad, I felt, did that with renovating Lambeau and leading the Packers and finding two different general managers that both won Super Bowls and two different head coaches he hired that both won Super Bowls. And, 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 and those are the kind of things I, I think people like to hear it's easier said than done, and because I know the story, and you know it as well, Steve, it, 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 all, all good stories have a lot of struggle and a lot of challenge to it, and, and that's what I appreciate most about what he's done in his, in his wonderful life. Round two with Kevin Harlan next. 
This is 94.5 ESPN. We got through all the stuff aside from getting you to talk about people. I know you were one time maybe the first voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I got to believe the start of Kevin Garnett is something you can talk about. And they didn't win a championship, but it must be amazing when he came as a high school player and then just what happened from there. Do I have the timing right? You do. Uh, he was there uh, toward the end of my nine years with the team. And, um, you know, a high school player had not been drafted in forever. And uh, the, the, the mechanics of it were so that he, he had, was a Prop 48 kid, which is an old term, but he, he did not qualify to get into school. And I think he was going to go to Michigan. He was a high school player in Chicago. And he decided to declare for the draft, and he did. And at that time with the Timberwolves, uh, the people that were running the franchise were Kevin McHale, the great Boston Celtic, was the GM and president of basketball operations, and Flip Saunders, the late Flip Saunders. And they flew to Chicago to the Combine, and they saw this kid work out for all the scouts and for all the head coaches that were there, and they were driving back to O'Hare, and they looked at each other as they had just watched what they watched, and now we're driving back to check in the rental car. And they said, can you believe we're going to stake the, 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 the franchise's future and probably our futures on a 17-year-old high school kid from Chicago? Well, thank God they did because he was drafted, and the rest is history. The very next year, Kobe Bryant declared for the draft as a high school player, and he was drafted by Charlotte and later traded uh, shortly thereafter to the Lakers. And that was that was historic, clearly. And then and then following that, LeBron and on and on. And we've seen the players come uh, from the high school ranks. It's been a while since that has happened. Now we're going to go back to that in the in the near future. And uh, yes, Garnett changed that organization and changed the trajectory of a lot of different people's careers. How soon did you know he was that good or going to be that good? He's a kid. Well, yeah, I know it, and that's what they called him. They called him the kid, and, and they did a couple things that were very smart, Steve. First of all, they invited a lot of his high school friends, his childhood friends, to come along with him to Minnesota. They said, come on up here, and Kevin basically hired them or had them work for him in, a, in different capacities, and, and so they got to travel with the team on the plane. They, they said it, it will better help him adjust if he has people around him that are his same age and, and, and can kind of serve not as a buffer, but just as friends, companions. He's 17, 18-year-old kid, you know, traveling in the NBA. Uh, secondly, they had some, some people on the team, older players that were very good and served as father figures. He did not have a dad uh, that was with him at the time. And, and they, they really took uh, him, uh, from that standpoint, under their, under their wing. Um, but there were some other, uh, Kevin McHale, uh, had great interest in him. And then the two music producers, as you know, uh, Minneapolis, uh, was filled with, you know, great music talent from Prince, uh, and, and Janet Jackson would record and use two writers, uh, two lyricists in, in Minneapolis to help her with these record breaking albums. One was uh, Jimmy Harris and the other was Terry Lewis. And, and they took Kevin under their wing. So he had these mentors. He had players 
that were mentors. He had his friends that were his same age that were with him and traveling with us. And then he had Kevin McHale as his basketball mentor. So they gave him the perfect fertile ground to grow and grow at his own pace. And that was wonderful to watch. I know it had to feel special for you when he finally won a championship because a player like him, it just changes how everyone views you. As I like to say, you're in the club, even if it wasn't with Minnesota. Yeah, when he went when he went to Boston and joined Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, and Danny Ainge orchestrated that, and Doc Rivers was the coach, and Tom Thibodeau was the defensive mastermind of that team, um, Kevin had the, the environment to win a championship. And it isn't easy. He was the defensive player of the year in the NBA, and, and, and all this leadership that he had been a part of as a young kid, you know, came flowing through when he got to Boston. They needed someone like that, a defensive presence, uh, but a bigger-than-life personality with these great sharpshooters, Pierce and Allen. And they just had the right chemistry, and it really worked out well. They, they knew exactly what they needed, and, and when Garnett left, it was sad for Minnesota. I think Kevin had hoped that he would always be um, a, a Timberwolf player. From the very beginning, uh, he always said, I'd like to start and finish my career with one team. And he later became a, a Timberwolf again. He, he later went to the Minnesota team. But he's, he is an, an extraordinary individual with a work ethic second to none. And, and, and like I said, with all great players, great musicians, great, great uh, lawyers, great broadcasters, great anything, it's always the work ethic that stands out. You don't just do it. Uh, Michael Jordan was the hardest worker I ever saw. And Kobe Bryant was right in back of him. Larry Bird was like that. Well, Garnett was in that same footprint. He would, he would be, uh, you know, one of those examples that you would show a younger player and say, that's how you work. That's what it's like to be a pro. And he was like that even as a high schooler when he first came into the league? Well, he was very determined. You know, um, like I said, his dad wasn't a part of his life at that time. And, uh, you know, the, the, he was kind of breaking ground. I think Bill Willoughby had been the last high school player drafted, and that was, you know, years and years and years before. So Garnett was, was you know, approaching kind of this very interesting uh, world, and he was, he was the, the, the leader. Uh, and, and they really didn't know what to expect. And I think he felt like, I've got the hopes of a lot of kids that grew up like I did, you know, kind of kind of hinged on what kind of success I'd have. So he was a mature kid to begin with, but he was a kid nonetheless. I mean, he was 17, 18 years old. But as he grew and that environment was so good for him and protective yet nurturing that he became what he became, you know, this, this great Hall of Fame player. Um, no, I, I can't say enough about him, but there are a lot of stories like that, Steve. You, you watch them all the time. You know what I'm talking about. Players that, that even NFL players, they may have had the benefit of three, four years of college, but they're still kids when they get to the NFL. And and yes, they may have been a part of a team, and that certainly served as the perfect foundation for them to become and flower and become what they're supposed to become. But but it, it takes a lot of people and the right kind of voices in their heads to become what they're going to become. You you need that kind of leadership. There are countless stories, as you know of great athletes coming into the league but didn't have the right coach or the right teammates or the right environment 
to become what they could have potentially become. Maybe they were off course a little bit, and, and they needed someone to correct them, and they got that with what they, they were lucky enough to find when they got that to that organization. And, and, and that, uh, you know, one of the great examples of that, for instance, is in Kansas City. We're going to see Mahomes on Super Sunday, Patrick Mahomes. His first year in the league as a rookie, and he came from Texas Tech, so he played big-time college football. But he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily a winning quarterback. He was basically a 500 quarterback with eye-popping numbers, but he had a lot of flaws in his game, too. And you draft kids, college uh, kids, and even now high school kids that we're seeing in, in pro basketball, you draft them on potential. What can we make him? What can he become? Well, he had two great things that happened when he went to Kansas City, who will play in the Super Bowl for the third time in four years on Sunday. Um, he had Alex Smith, who was a veteran quarterback, who was the starter when, when Mahomes got there. And, and Alex Smith stayed the starting quarterback. But he taught Mahomes how to be a pro, how to study tape, how to practice, how to get ready during the week, what to do on your off days, all that stuff. And then he had Andy Reid, who had had great quarterbacks in the past, and so Reid knew exactly what to spoon-feed Mahomes, and that's how he became what he became. And, and listen, same with Jalen Hurts with, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He, he had uh, Nick Saban at Alabama, and, and he played in that program, and he had great players around him, but they had structure and they had discipline, and that helped him become what he became. And then he goes to Philadelphia, and, and he's got the great voices there too, the veteran voices uh, that, that that he needed to have. He had Carson Wentz for a while. He left, and 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 but he, now he has Nick Sirianni. He he had he had veterans uh, that that helped guide him. And I know that these kids would say, "You can't do it on your own. You you need help along the way. You need the right people to guide you." And both of these quarterbacks we're going to see on Super Sunday. Both of those quarterbacks had that. I was going to ask you, talking with Kevin Harlan, if you still get those pregame interviews and who you get them with, because we talked a long, long time ago, and I don't remember what it was about, but I always remembered you and what you said about Peyton Manning. You had clearly had a chance to talk with him, and just how much you learned and how much how impressed you were about all these things about him that I know you were able to interact with him some. Does, is that still part of, of what you do before uh, an NFL game? It is. We, we get a chance, whether it's uh, now virtually, uh, Zoom, or whether it's in person, we do get a chance to talk with these kids and, and visit with them. And, uh, you know, you, you get a pretty good insight because, because you, 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 we interview so many of them, we can compare how this guy is versus that guy. And what we liked about that guy may not like so much about this, this player. And, and that does become part of it. And, and there are often times that these players will say something in these interviews and we'll jot something down. We'll write, we'll write, I'll write something that's completely off track, whether it's with, you know, whoever, uh, a quote or a phrase they may use. And, 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 you know, they've heard that from a coach or heard that from a mom or a dad, you know, in Peyton Manning's case, again, uh, the diligence and the creativity was off the charts, but his mom and dad, were, were very much his, their fingerprints were all over Manning and Eli and 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 their and their and you know they they showed it with with their you know incredible NFL careers to play quarterback in the NFL involves so much you've got more invested than any other player on the team uh, the two most important people in the building are the head coach and the quarterback so to be a quarterback in the NFL is not just a regular position not to demean what they do or, or lessen the the importance of what they do but the quarterback clearly you know, has their hand 
on on the throttle, on the steering wheel, uh, on the rudder, and and that is, you know, you, you just can't even calculate the importance of that. So when a guy like Peyton Manning or Rogers or whoever you want to talk about, the great ones, um, they've got a certain command, they've got God-given ability, but but, but they've got a way that leads and, and, and have people follow them. And Kobe Bryant was the same way with the Lakers, and, and Michael Jordan was the same way with the Bulls. These are extraordinary people, but but, but they, they, they lead by action, they lead by words, they lead by example, and they lead just because they have so much on on their plate. They have the most weight of an organization on their backs, and they gladly take it. And, and Manning just would always think the game through and felt like, I may not have the best arm, and I might not be the fleetest of foot. I may not have the greatest body or be the best athlete, but by God, I'm going to work more and be more prepared than anybody else. And, and that's what I admired most about him, that he would just constantly – think of ways to be better and had notebook upon notebook of notes he would take and observations he would make and things he would do in practice and different ways to get better. And, and that the drive to get better, the, the drive to continue to excel and challenge yourself to be the best you can be with no regrets. Um, you know, that that's what was most impressive about a guy like Manning. And, and most of the, most of the great players we talked to rarely do we talk to someone like you, Steve, rarely do we talk to someone that, that is great at what they do without having a way about them that is so admirable and, 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 and you're envious of them, the way they lead and the way they conduct themselves. That You would like to you know, in, take those same traits and you know, use it in, in the way you do your job. And that's happened often with me. All right, to Tom Brady, because I think he has officially retired. I believe he's done um, <laughs> yes. this time. And... You have clearly had the chance. So any comments on your interactions with him as far as what you expected, or is it pretty much just you what just what you said? Because I don't know if you got to talk to him before he became Tom Brady, but um, he's amazing. I did. I, I, I did. I, I talked really? to Brady before he was. Yes, when he first was uh, starting games for Belichick in New England. Absolutely. And uh, he was the same guy then that he was – 10, 15 years later after Super Bowls and MVPs and, you know, uh, incredible success in, in, in virtually every area of his life, but certainly as an NFL player. And um, uh, I, I've got personal stories when I would take my son with me on the road with him and Manning both and how kind they were and things they would say to him. Uh, but, no, uh, Brady, uh, w- whether he was a second-year player when I first met him, or when, whether he was in his 20th year, when I last did him, uh, he'd walk in the same way into the room, sit down, eye contact. He'd, he'd, he'd look and say, Steve, nice to meet you. Kevin, good to see you again. Howard, you know, like, like, like he was the same guy each time. He gave thoughtful answers. He would sit up straight in the chair. He was not a sloucher. He wasn't a guy that was wandering with his concentration in the room. He'd look you in the eye, and he would answer the question. Um, uh, he would, he, he was the same guy and I always admired that about him. But again, the, the stories about him are legendary. First guy in the building, last guy to leave, uh, would, would, would do things over and over and over again, like Peyton Manning would in practice until it became, you know, muscle memory and mental memory. And, and, you know, just, just all these things about how he would just always try to be the best in the competitive side of him would always come through in everything that he did. 
And, and and those are the reasons why guys like him are guys like him. They just they were just different. But but the great ones always too uh, had a way with them personally and interacting with people that you really appreciated. Um, eye contact, uh, total concentration on the question and and wanting to give you a good answer, and and not just sloughing it off and not just going through the motions. Always present and and always uh, very engaged. Maybe you never did it. I always have, where I wish I knew one of your best friends, where you said to him, you know, I talked to this guy, Tom Brady. I'm telling you, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Or, he's, or maybe, you, maybe you never do that. Or with others that you didn't think and they surprised you. Um, does that well, exist? Well, uh, you know, yeah, it does. I, 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 I don't know that, that, that any of us can tell with, with, you know, the uneducated eye, just the optics or just the feel like some people think, boy, this guy is really going to be good. You can just feel it. And and then their career really never becomes what it was supposed to become because of injury or lack of motivation or money or who knows what, you know, sideswipes a player's success. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what I, I think you do more often is when you see, you know, a guy like Manning or Brady or Rogers or, or any of these guys and, you go back in your own mental memory uh, vault and you begin to think about what they were like, you know, the first time you met them 10, 15 years ago. And, and could you have said, if someone had said, yeah, you know, Peyton Manning, let's say he was two years in the league or Tom Brady, two, three years as a starter and he won a Super Bowl early in his life. But what would you say? Um, uh, you know, he is going to be the greatest quarterback. He said, well, he sure could the way he is, the way he plays and how he does things. You'd probably think, yeah, he could, he could definitely, he could definitely do something that's very, very special. So, yeah, I mean, some of that is there, but I mean, like, who could predict the greatness of those players in particular, and how, and how their lives turned out, and what they did in their careers? That that would be hard for anyone, but you can spot it sometimes and say this guy's got it, and and then the degree of their success is probably varies a little bit, but at the same time, you think. Yeah, the, the, the seeds are there for something really to be special. The final round three with Kevin Harlan next. 94.5 ESPN, a treat to talk with Kevin Harlan. I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. If you don't know who he is, you're listening to the wrong station. Uh, <laughs> of all that you've done, what are you most proud of as an announcer? Uh, I don't know that I could say... I, I would say this. I was just thinking of this the other day just because I've been doing it for such a long time that I've been able to stay uh, with the same company uh, a long time. Like I've not moved from job to job, and um, uh, we've not had to move our family. Uh, I, I, my wife and I, like I said, have been married over 35 years, and, and we've lived in the same house for 28 of those years. Uh, our kids were raised in the same city, went to the same schools, same church. So in a, in a profession like broadcasting, which is kind of all over the place, and, and the, the, there are more, far more stories of people going from this city to that city and this team to that team and climbing and, and having to expand their job and get better jobs by one move after another. We have been uh, blessed in that regard that we've been able to stay in, in one town. And uh, the kids have had the same set of friends since they were babies. And, and like I said, basically the same house you raised our four kids in. 
So that has been that has been lucky, and 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 that is because I've been with the same company. I, I joined CBS in '98. I joined TNT in 1996. Um, I was with the Chiefs for nine years as their broadcaster with the Timberwolves uh, for nine years, and I lived in Kansas City and commuted to Minneapolis. I never. Uh, we lived in Minneapolis for just 13 months and then moved back, and um, uh, that was great that we could still stay in the in the same city that that uh, that we wanted to, Kansas City. That's that's where we had our children, and that's where we've we've raised our children. So so we we've we've not had to move, and we've just had a chance to be with the same companies for all these years, and and longevity in this business. Um, is tough and it's hard, but that I think is one of the great accomplishments for me is that I've been able to stay with the same same company, and and I, I take great pride in that, and I hope I'm with these uh, with these as long as they'll have me. I don't know how much longer I'm going to work, but I hope I can stay there and finish off my career with them because that's been a real blessing. Just look at Bob Uecker's age; you're just getting started. You got 23 <laughs> more years to catch up with how old he is. Come on, Kevin Harlan, tell the world right now you're going to do it as long and as old as Bob Uecker's done it. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, he's a special case, man. That guy is a uh, uh, he, he is amazing, and I'm, I we listen to him every summer when we go up to uh, Door County and, and spend our summers up there. And I hear him all the time and just marvel at how sharp he is at his age, how good he is. His voice is still terrific. His feel for the game, his sense of humor, all of it is just, it, it, it is amazing to me. Um, I, I don't think you ever want to retire too early. Um, I know my dad, because of the bylaws of the Packers, uh, he got to stay a couple years longer than, than the charter says you should. They said it is a mandatory age 70 to retire. But because they had some issues, he, they, they kept him on two additional years, which was wonderful for him. But my dad could have worked, I think, uh, as sharp as his mind still is until he was 80 for sure. Uh, the question is, do I want to work that long? I might want to still do a little bit and get up in the morning and get ready for a game. It sounds kind of fun, but not the schedule I've got now for sure. Not, not trying to, you know, this year and, and the last couple of years of doing a Sunday game for CBS TV then Monday night uh, football for Westwood one, and then NBA for TNT, three games in a row, three different cities, one radio, two TV, and, and two different sports. I mean, it, 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 it wears on you after a while, and, and I don't think I'm going to keep up that much longer. But I have enjoyed the challenge of trying to get better. It's a, it's a job I love like you do, Steve, and I'm, I'm very lucky to have found something that I do enjoy doing and have been even more lucky by being with uh, companies that, uh, that uh, you know, I've gotten to work for, for for a very, very long time, and, and, and that really has been the best part of my job. All right, let's get to the trivia about Wayne Larvey. So did you follow him? He fo- what? You, you were back-to-back with the, Kansas, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Uh, Wayne was the voice of the Chiefs. And I was uh, a freshman, sophomore at the University of Kansas. I went down to say hello to him. He was doing a game at Allen Fieldhouse, the home of the Jayhawks, for someone. I'm not sure who he was, who he was doing the game for. Maybe he was doing it for, for regional TV at the time. I can't recall. But I uh, introduced myself. We kind of knew each other. And he said, hey, we are with my station. At that time it was 
KCMO Radio in Kansas City. Um, we're going to start. We're going to go to News Talk. This is in 1978-79. He said we're going to go to News Talk, and um, and we're going to do a three-hour pregame show for the Chiefs broadcast. And we're looking for a young producer to come in and put it together. And he gave me that opportunity. They they selected me to do it. So I was a student at Kansas, sophomore, and would drive into Kansas City and cut tape and do interviews and get everything ready. And they had a host, a TV anchor in town, that agreed to be the host of this three-hour show. It was the longest show in the NFL. And uh, they put the money into it. And that's how I kind of got associated with the with the Chiefs and with with Wayne Larravee. And then when he left to go do the Chicago Bears, I had been doing the Kansas City Kings. That was my first job out of college. Was the NBA with the Kansas City Kings, now the Sacramento Kings, and they were going to Sacramento. They were leaving Kansas City, and I had a chance to go out there with them. But I really wanted to stay in Kansas City. Wayne leaves to do the Bears. The job opens up, and um, and the and the chief said, you know, you've been doing the pregame show. We, we don't. We'd like to hear how you sound doing a broadcast. Would you mind giving us a tape? And they said, all right. So he was doing it with the late great Hall of Fame quarterback Len Dawson. Yeah. And Len Dawson and I uh, did a tape uh, together of a game. They listened to it. Lamar Hunt hired me the next Wednesday. And I became the voice of the Chiefs for the next nine years following in Wayne Larrabee's footsteps in Kansas City. Yeah, I'm glad I asked. Uh, and I want to mention about you and Kurt Warner. I, I and This isn't nothing to do with all the other people you've worked with, but I just think he is so good. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. He's a, good, he's, he's, a, he's a Midwestern guy like you and I are. He is a, 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 he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, clearly. He knows the game. He still works as hard in getting ready for these broadcasts as he did when he was a player. His study habits are incredible. He watches every snap of every game every week of the season. And and we'll be in our, our Monday night broadcast booth three hours, four hours before kickoff, and he's got his laptop out, and he's there charting the game, of uh, the game between the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. And then they'll then they'll get through that game. Then they'll do a game between wow. the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders. And they'll chart every snap of that game and grade the quarterback and write down thoughts in this big book he has. So he works as hard at, at doing this as he did when he played. And uh, state law requires me to ask you about Aaron Rodgers and any interaction you've had with him in the last couple of years and the interviews you do. Take it away, Kevin Harlan. He has been uh, more than great. Um, we consider him a family friend. Um, uh, you know, my dad was there when they made the deal to move up in the draft, and Ted Thompson went to my dad and says, I'd like to do this. My dad said, go ahead. And they moved up in the draft, and they got Aaron Rodgers, who was then backing up Brett Favre. And um, so, so that was an incredible uh, beginning. And then when they would have these caravans around the state, um, my dad would, would travel and represent the front office as the president and CEO, and Aaron Rodgers would be on the bus, and he would go to these little towns in Wisconsin before he was, quote-unquote, Aaron Rodgers. And they became, you know, even better friends then. And um, I, have, I have, he knows my son-in-law, Sam uh, Decker, who played at Wisconsin. He knows Sam very well, and they remain in contact. Um, and he knows our daughter, Olivia. 
And every time that I've interacted with him, interviewing him for a CBS broadcast or doing something on the Packard Television Network for the preseason, he's been phenomenal. So I, I love the guy, and I, I hope uh, I hope he, he plays as long as he wants to play for the Packers. And I, I can't I can't think of a of a better guy that this organization has, except for maybe the guy that uh, that he followed in Brett Favre, who is again another another great family friend. Uh, uh, so, so you're probably talking to the, if you're looking for any anything uh, to say otherwise about about Brett or or Aaron, it's not going to come from me because our family's close to both. of them. No, I just want Kevin Harlow. That's all I want. And as I do with all <laughs> interviews, uh, you get the last word. You can say to the state of Wisconsin whatever you want about whatever you want because you owned the end of this. Well, I, we, uh, as some people know that are listening, uh, because of my dad, uh, I grew up in the Packer organization. I was born just outside Milwaukee. Uh, I'm a Wisconsinite, although we live in Kansas City. That we're there every summer. My wife and I were there for uh, deep into the fall, uh, so we stay up in up in the area, and uh, and that's my home. And uh, what a privilege it's been to be a part of that great state. Meet people like you. Uh, listen to all the great broadcasters over the years that have from Jim Irwin and, and, and all the people and Brian Anderson and of course Wayne uh, and you Steve and, and I, it's it's been a wonderful place to grow up and and call home even though we may not uh, be based there right now uh, that is home for me and and I'm glad and proud to say it is Kevin Harlan thank you Thank you, Steve, so much. Great to visit. 94.5 ESPN. I don't know what's next. It won't be as good. I don't have to do nothing but stay black and die. White people. I will bet anybody. I can't do it. We'll do it live. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Things suck. Do it right.